Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome. We have what I think is going to be a fun show for you. Uh, this should be a really delightful episode because uh, we have as our special guest, Jimmy Lennon Jr., the great ring announcer who, um, of course, does the ring announcing for Showtime Championship Boxing, my home uh, place, and uh, also for many other platforms uh, now in the world of boxing. And uh, Jimmy will talk to us a little bit about uh, his beginning uh, period as a ring announcer. Plus, we'll talk about his famous dad, Jimmy Lennon Sr., who was uh, a phenomenal ring announcer and a wonderful man and is like his son, Jimmy Jr., uh, a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And also, uh, we will answer a number of your questions. And to help me do all of this, my partner in crime, uh, my friend, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how you doing? Just great, Al. And have you ever been a ring announcer? I know you've done tons TV, radio. I did a couple of times serve as a ring announcer for things and uh, for shows. Just a couple of times. And it was an interesting experience. I found it to be intriguing. Did you not dabble in it once? Uh, I think you might have been there where I got one of the cards wrong. Yes, indeed. Being dyslexic is not a great skill when it comes to being a ring announcer. And uh, the look of pain, we had a, a Frank, who was a promoter that you and I both work with occasionally, had a pained look in his face. And that's when I realized I'd made a mistake. But that's all part of boxing. Well, hey, they frown on getting the uh, the actual card wrong. But uh, or, but you know what? It, luckily, you only haven't had to do it to make a living, just as an avocation occasionally. Well, interestingly, Jimmy Lennon Jr. was uh, the uh, ring announcer uh, for a fight on Fox uh, this past weekend, which uh, continued the sport of boxing going onward. Yeah. What do you think of the results this weekend? Yeah, it was a, you know, it, it was very interesting. It was an important welterweight match. Um, Jamal James taking on Thomas Delorme in a, an important welterweight match. Delorme, who came out of uh, his the Olympics as a highly touted uh, professional, has had a few speed bumps uh, in his, hit a few speed bumps in his career, but he's looked really good recently. And this was an important chance for him to get back into title contention. And Jamal James, uh, is a, a fighter who is just getting to that point, and many people believe he can be a player in the welterweight division. So it was an important match, and it was an exceptional fight. Both men fought very well, but uh, James was just a little bit better, and uh, he won a unanimous decision. And uh, I don't think anyone uh, would argue with the decision. It, they, it was uh, fun to watch. And I think Jamal James, who is now 32 years of age, so even though he's just getting into that contending status, his boxing biological clock is probably ticking a bit. So for him, it was important to get this win, and, uh, and he did. And uh, it will perhaps push him to be in the upper echelon of what is perhaps boxing's best division, the, uh, the welterweights. And the good news is you're getting back on an airplane again once again. I am. Uh, we are headed back to the Mohegan Sun, our new Showtime Championship uh, boxing home. 
where we will this week uh, have a fight in the 168-pound division where David Benavides, uh, young champion uh, and considered uh, one of the most exciting young fighters in boxing, against Alexis uh, Argulo, who uh, is a has been a contender in that division, has had a couple of big fights before and come up just short. He's hoping uh, he'll do better in this opportunity. And uh, so that should be a fun match. And also heavyweights, uh, Otto Valin uh, taking on uh, Travis Kaufman, uh, who is uh, a, uh, a good heavyweight, a journeyman heavyweight. And Valin, who gave Tyson Fury a uh, haul he could handle for a while, um, feels that he can get another shot at a, at a major fight. So we'll have some heavyweight action. And also uh, we'll get to look at the 168 pounders. And I will be back in action. Uh, doing more boxing, which uh, has been fun. What's your favorite division for just all around? Because obviously 168 I love because you've got the hand speed of, of the smaller fighters, but you have the knockout power. What's your favorite? Yeah, you know, this is going to come as a surprise maybe. One of my favorite divisions is the cruiserweight division because you have, again, it, it, they're big guys at 200 pounds but they're all in shape you know sometimes the heavyweights <laughs> come, you know sometimes you see a 250 pound heavyweight who should weigh 220 and uh, that you know it, it kind of diminishes the effectiveness of his boxing and so the cruiserweight division you don't have that and so I, I like that division a lot of course you know we in terms of of great divisions for talent now we have, you know, the welterweight division, the 122-pound division is fantastic, and the 154-pound division as well. So there's a lot of divisions that are producing uh, really good fights and, uh, and good talent. You know what's fun and is when I used to do local fights in Vegas, you see a guy come into the ring, a heavyweight, that looks so out of shape, but for whatever reason, he is a, a good fighter. And you probably see those all the time at the heavyweight level. Any favorites of guys who look so out of shape, but can have yeah, a tremendous Yeah, there punch? have been some. Samson Pahua was a, a fighter from years and years ago who was a big puncher and didn't look like he should be a big puncher, but he was knocking out everybody. Uh, he reached a, you know, a glass ceiling in the heavyweight division, but he was an example of somebody that didn't look the part. Oh, you could even say, you could even say, Larry Holmes. Uh, Larry was not body beautiful. You know, he was in shape, certainly. Uh, but he, he never looked like he was this, you know, uh, monster of a heavyweight. And yet he was, of course, a brilliant fighter and a terrific champion. Yeah, uh, the buffets in Easton, Pennsylvania probably got a workout. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, we got a couple questions to get going. First of all, Finbar, uh, he said, I really enjoyed all the shows you've done. Um, he question i know you love films best boxing movie you've ever seen and then we got to follow up right after that well i you, uh, the first i'm gonna this is gonna sound cliched but i'm gonna say that it was the first rocky uh because it had all the elements of uh, you know it was stylized it wasn't a, a hard if you want to take a, a boxing movie that showed the kind of the, the 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 grittier side of boxing you might go for fat city or the harder they fall those were fine films from another other eras but as far as a boxing film that you know was exciting and interesting and had great characterizations i'd go with rocky one yeah you can't beat it and you know you've had some experiences with the star and the writer of that i have and that will lead us to our second question i believe in that group aha is that foreshadowing is that what i just did 
Which movie star impressed you the most with her knowledge of boxing? And also, keep up the good work. Yeah, uh, thank, thank you for that, gentlemen, about keeping up the good work. We'll do our best. Uh, you know, I'm going to pick Sylvester Stallone in there uh, because, and then I'm going to put a caveat. Uh, Sylvester Stallone really knows the sport. He loves the sport. And I spent a lot of time around him when I filmed Rocky Five, and when he promoted, he was a promoter very briefly. He and he had Tiger Eye Promotions. They did two shows. Both of them were on ESPN. Uh, and, uh, and during that period of time, I got to sit and talk with him about boxing. And he knows the sport. He loves the sport. Now, another uh, movie star who I don't know if he still is, 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 likes it or has watched it, but back in the day, in the 80s and early 90s, I was around him a lot. Gene Hackman was... Uh, he used to go to the 10 Goose boxing shows that Danny Goosen and his uh, people put on. And Gene Hackman was very knowledgeable about the sport of boxing and a really good boxing fan. Uh, and uh, so Gene would be 1A in that marking. Oh, that's fantastic. Our next question, if there was one matchup you could put together right now, what would it be? And it, by the way, it could be in any weight class. Well, this is also going to seem like a cliched answer because it's going to be the fight that everyone picks, but that's the reason why I'm taking it. It would be the Errol Spence, uh, um, Terrence Crawford matchup for this reason. Um, it's the one boxing always seems to have one matchup that doesn't happen. And it's like a festering open wound for the sport. And how's that for graphic, uh, explanation. <laughs> and, and, and what that does is it doesn't just affect the fans who want to see it. It affects the way the casual uh, sports media covers the sport of boxing. They always look at that one match. Was, for years, it was Mayweather-Pacquiao. Sure. And they look at it, and it was also, for a while, it was um, uh, Lennox Lewis and uh, Riddick Bowe. And there have been other examples. And they say, if you can't make that fight, then you're not making good fights, even though you might be making 20 other good, meaningful fights uh, that were even champions facing each other and all the rest. That fight right now is the boogeyman that the casual boxing media looks at and says, well, why isn't boxing making this fight? Fans want to see it. So I think it's important for them to make that fight just to get that monkey off boxing's back. And sometimes it's, it's weird happenstance that you were talking on a previous show about the, uh, the Mike Tyson upset at Buster Douglas. Otherwise, he was going to face Holyfield at Trump's casino, and that fight would have been made when fans really wanted to see it, but stuff happens. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, and, and that's why uh, Bob Arum made the famous quote once that the fight needs to marinate a certain fight. And I think in boxing, sometimes they do need to marinate, but sometimes they don't. Okay. Is it this coming from Teddy Ross? Is it hard to commentate on a fight without a crowd there? You know, not for me. Uh, I haven't, I didn't, feel it this last time at all. And I didn't think I would. Uh, you're laser focused on the match. Uh, and I don't think that the lack of crowd response changes what you do. It, it, and it didn't change. I don't think it changed our, our level of intensity or energy or interest, certainly in the fights and the matches. And, uh, and I, don't, I didn't see it as a detriment. I really didn't. And do you, uh, we've asked this before, but refresh me, do you call it off the monitor or off your eyes? Yeah, I call it almost 100% off the monitor. Um, some people find that surprising. Uh, I started out, you know, many years ago, uh, 
using the ring and then using part of the ring, part of the monitor. And as time went on, the percentage of time I looked at the ring got less and less and less. And now uh, I literally call off the monitor. I, I could literally, I mean, some, of course, nowadays, some people are, the whole ESPN crew, for the most part, was in a remote location. And uh, Brian Kenny for this fight on Fox that they had, while Joe Goosen and Lennox Lewis were at the site, he was in a remote location. I, I, and I have done, of course, boxing where we've taken in a feed into a studio and done it off a monitor. So I, it doesn't, you know, it, it just doesn't impact me in terms of uh, doing the fight. Well, that, that's the ultimate pro. And uh, what relative new boxing book do you recommend for the fans of the sport? This came in from RGN. Yeah, it's a, it's a book called Believe the Hype, Bundini. And it's about Bundini Brown. Todd Snyder wrote it. Uh, Hamilcar um, uh, Publishing publishes the book. It is tremendous. And we're going to get Todd on the show uh, as a guest in the near future. Uh, it's really good. Bundini Brown, for those people that don't know him, was, I don't even know what to describe his role with Muhammad Ali. He was his uh, hype man. He was his confidant, co-trainer, if you will. Uh, but mostly it was all about him helping Ali. Uh, and he was very colorful, very interesting man. Uh, and this book gives you, it dispels a lot of myths about, about Bundini Brown but then also helps you understand the larger than life things that you already know about him. So you will leave this book with a different opinion one way or the other of Bandini Brown. Uh, and it, it's really well written. And uh, for anybody that has an interest in Ali or knew who Bandini Brown was, it's a good read. And if you, you haven't, uh, don't know about him, it's even a better read because you're going to find out about somebody who is a key part of Ali Muhammad Ali's uh, life and career. Has there been a fighter since Ali who was as world famous and as omnipresent as Ali was? No. Uh, the, 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 the people that would come close, obviously, Tyson is an iconic figure. Uh, Oscar La Hoya, in, his, in, in many respects, worldwide, was very well known. Manny Pacquiao, who's great international flavor, Floyd Mayweather who would kill me if I didn't put his name in there. Right? Uh, we live in the same city and I, I might bump into him in the grocery store and I'll be in trouble. Uh, but there've been, you know, iconic names in the sport that have, that have transcended our uh, boundaries in the United States. Uh, and of course you could put Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler, those people in that category as well. But nobody has been, worldwide as renowned as Muhammad Ali. And wonder if we'll ever see another in boxing. No, I don't know. Because I don't know. I don't know if a person, you know, part of it was the times he lived in, uh, a perfect storm of events that made it possible for him to uh, be as well known as he was. So I don't know if we can see that uh, configuration uh, come back again. Uh, it, it sure was great because I was a young man in, in the 60s and to see Cassius Clay back then with Howard Cosell and then Muhammad Ali, I mean, those were magic times. Yeah, it was intriguing. It certainly was. And uh, 
uh, and it it would you know and and some people put a gauze uh, you know look at it through a gauzy kind of picture. There were it wasn't all uh, uh, a bed of roses, but but no. it was always fascinating. Exactly. And you have great guests coming up today. I do, and uh, we're going to get to uh, him right now. Uh, our uh, our guest today is a gentleman who is. Uh, one of my favorite people in the sport of boxing. And if you don't like Jimmy Lennon Jr. and you know him, then it's your fault, not his. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's a delightful man. And uh, his career as a ring announcer, of course, is celebrated. You know, he started uh, his ring announcing years and years ago when his father, Jimmy Lennon Sr., uh, brought him over to the forum. And uh, and Jimmy will tell that story in the interview, and it's 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 very well put and very well told. Uh, and then his career took off, and of course, uh, he became uh, an iconic ring announcer. So here is our conversation with Jimmy Lennon Jr. Jimmy, it is a delight to get to visit with you. Um, you are uh, an iconic figure in the sport of boxing, and interestingly, you are a second generation ring announcer. Many people know that, but not everyone. And your father, Jimmy Lennon Sr., was uh, one of the preeminent uh, ring announcers in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, right through the 80s. Uh, a man who uh, really kind of helped reinvent the art form of being a ring announcer. What kind of influence did he have on you in terms of the profession and how you approach it? Yeah, a huge influence. But before I talk about that, Al, it's an honor to be with you. It's a little different setting than sitting down at dinner and uh, and having some fun sure. or ringside. But it's <laughs> it's great to be with you on this. We're gonna have fun. Um, yeah, my dad was a huge influence um, to me. Uh, when I started, I had only seen really one announcer. I watched my dad, and that was it. So I didn't try to copy him, but enough people said I sound and and and, and like him in many ways, and it was just natural. Um, and there's a uh, another influence he had, which I don't know if you know. I there, I have uh, four siblings, and I'm the youngest. And all the others were named different names, but when it came to the youngest, it was Junior. And by far, I am more like him in personality and in looks, and it followed in his footsteps. So I think there was some sort of destiny. But yeah, you know, my father was brought up in the the music business, and he was right. uh, he was a singer who sang coast to coast on radio. He uh, live acts as well and performed. He grew up during the depression where they do anything to make a few bucks. Yeah. And so that was his background. And so, yeah, I think he did bring a lot of class to, uh, to boxing. He didn't want to be the, you know, cigar stub in one side of the mouth and belting out, you know, the names of the fighters. <laughs> and I think it really helped out that um, he came along during really the advent of the microphone. He knew yeah, how to point. use the microphone because before that, you know, as as uh, you um, would know, they, you know, they, they a lot of times the folks would the ring announcers and the one before him would just yell loudly, and and try <laughs> to fill the arena with their voice. So, uh, but yeah, he had a great influence on me, and and I feel like that was such a gift to me, and that uh, you know I'm so appreciative to be able to follow in his footsteps and. Um, and enjoy the sport that uh, that I love and enjoy being a part of it. And you uh, originally were not headed in that direction. You uh, became an educator 
uh, and you were a teacher and then you were the headmaster at a private school. How did you make the transition uh, from that to being a ring announcer? Yeah, it, it, it took a little time because I was reluctant. It, I didn't feel that was my thing. I, um, but what happened, honestly, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I needed some money. And, <laughs> Fair enough. you know, my dad offered to pay me 20 bucks to go with him and help interview the fighters. And so I go there to interview the fighters. And then the prospect came up that maybe I could step into the ring and announce, maybe make a few more bucks. And so I kind of reluctantly did that. I would hate to see the video of my first announcements because <laughs> I remember I did not stand in the center of the ring. I was, you know, not, I didn't own the ring. Let's put it that way. And, um, but in any case, it, it came out slowly where I slowly became more integrated into, into the work. And, you know, I got positive feedback and I think I, I think I thrive on that. And so that encouraged me to do more. And so then I got the tuxedo. And so it was, it was, you know, it was slow. It was, it was a mentorship and it slowly took over. Um, I was able to do that on the weekends or at night when I wasn't teaching at that time. And so I was able to do both and I ended up, you know, loving it. I've always loved the sport. That's a, a given, but loving doing both. And it came to a point where I couldn't do both. I couldn't be the head of the school and announce at the same time. I became a little bit too busy. But certainly, I got to tell you, teaching was a passion for me. I mm -hmm. loved it. And, uh, you know, it didn't pay well, but that didn't matter to me at all. And so, um, I mean, I'm lucky to have those two careers. Yeah, that's for sure. So you raise an interesting point about the tuxedo. Over the years, I have at various times, especially when I did the top ranked boxing series, we had did a tuxedo every every uh, week for 45 weeks out of the year. So I had to own a lot of tuxedos. About how many tuxedos do you normally own at any given time in your life? Yeah. Okay. So what's a, what's a, what's a ballpark figure? <laughs> <laughs> so tuxedo man to tuxedo man you'll understand that sometimes you can rewear the pants and have a different yes. dinner jacket, okay? So I would say in my closet now, I probably have 20 tuxedos or dinner jackets, and I probably have 10 tuxedo shirts, 10, 12 there tuxedo shirts. There you go. And oh, but my ties, I mean, forget about it. I oh, way too many. The uh, accoutrements, the accoutrements are the key for tuxedos. I, that, that I learned early on. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, that's the key to it. And, you know, I'm really um, pleased. I've, you know, made some acquaintances of, of fine men's clothiers who, who send me them, some, some, some beautiful ones. And so I, I benefit from that. And, the, you know, they give me the latest style, the things that are going to come out in, in a few months. And uh, so I got to plug Jack Victor Company because they're just fantastic. Go, Based go in right Montreal. Right ahead. Great they, people. They send you a lot of stuff, huh? They send me a lot of stuff, and they're huge boxing fans. They love the sport of boxing, so that's great. Glad to be associated with them, Jimmy. How you? <clears throat> I mentioned the art of being a um, a ring announcer, and how you learned from your dad, and you, you've you've uh, over the years, obviously, um, kind of probably evolved a little bit. How do you view your role? What do you see yourself as? Are you the host of the evening? Uh, are you an information giver? What do you see yourself as, uh, as a ring announcer? 
Um, you know, I see myself, you, you nailed it partly there as the host for the live audience and, and the television. I see myself as, uh, a, boy, you know, you kind of nailed it. I'm gathering information, what the promoter wants, what the fighters want, what, you know, the TV producer wants, and I'm integrating that together. Almost primarily, I see myself as a person who puts the spotlight on others. Um, mm. And I really do enjoy that. I, yeah. I have a very strong belief that it's the fighters we are there for. They are the ones that are risking their lives, that have put in the effort. They are the ones that deserve the spotlight. And I couldn't be happier to place it on them, uh, not on myself and not on anyone else. And so um, that's my primary reason for being there. You have... Uh... Uh, met a lot of boxing figures over the years and your role has I think ingratiated you to many fighters and uh, just about everyone in boxing and I can say to the people out there that don't know you personally as I do you're definitely in the running as one of the nicest men on the planet you're in the <laughs> top five for sure <laughs> you know I never met Mahatma Gandhi but you know you're, you're in the top five um and so boxing figures have, you know, have a very special, uh, you have a special place in their heart. And one of the interesting things is one of boxing's rough and tumble figures, Mike Tyson, um, is interesting in terms of his relationship with you because people don't realize that he can do a thing like he did with you and your dad. Mike Tyson uh, did something very special when your dad was, was not feeling well, didn't he? Yeah, it's a heartwarming story that uh, that was very, very special. It occurred that actually the day after his second fight with Razor Ruddick, and I got a phone call and someone said, Jimmy, there's a white limousine outside of your dad's house. In there is Mike Tyson and Tommy Hurt. And they're coming to see your dad. Now at that time, my dad was pretty sick and he was close, close to death. And so I, I ran there, I got there, and there was Mike Tyson and Tommy Hearns at the door, and they sat down at my dad in his chair, and he was wearing a robe and not looking so great. And especially Mike Tyson was, could not have been more polite and sweet and dear, and he sat lower than my father, like down on a little footstool. And he looked up at my dad and asked him questions about wrestling and boxing and just shared his heart with him, gave my dad more months to live. And it was just an amazing, touching moment for, for my dad and, and all of us to see. And it showed the heart of Mike Tyson. He's a, a sweet man in so many ways. Interesting. And it probably also gave you a good feeling about the maybe how you're seen by, uh, by some of these fighters. And I, is it important to you that uh, the respect of the fighters is there for you as somebody that enhances what they do? Oh, no question. I have so much respect for the fighters themselves that if they return it to me, it gives me a real charge. I, I mentioned earlier that I thrive on, on response from people and, and their feedback. As we all and, do. As we all do. And pro and me, maybe to a fault. But, uh, you know, for the fighters to do that, I think it's extra special because, as I said, that's my goal is to give them honor. Yeah, that's for sure. And you, you certainly do that. You have uh, uh, done matches in front of 
tremendous crowds of, you know, throngs that are just huge. And I'm guessing one of the biggest you ever performed in front of as a ring announcer was when Julio Cesar Chavez took on Greg Haugen down in Mexico. I think there was something like 120,000 people. Uh, what does it feel like to be the center of attention for that many people? Oh, that was an, a special event. The numbers range from 120 to 135,000 on that, but you, you never know, but it was, you know, purportedly the largest crowd ever to, to uh, pay for a fight and largest attendance. Um, yeah, you know, it was, it, that particular fight was a, a special moment, not only because of the size of the crowd, but the setting where, you know, we're in a soccer stadium, Estadio Azteca, and there's a moat between the ground and the stands with German shepherds and guards <laughs> in the moat, keeping the two, you know, the, 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 the two separate. Um, you know, people were, I would look up into the arena and people had little fires. They were cooking their food because they'd been there since noon. And I mean, it was a, a, it was a celebration like you can't believe. And, you know, I, 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 I tell this story, forgive me if you've heard it, but I, I was in the ring with Don King, right? And it was just he and I before the main event. And they had a laser light show and a music show. And it was high quality, really well done and kind of emotional music. And this event was coming up. And I looked at Don King and I'm telling you the truth. He had like little misty eyes. He was like, um, you know, really moved by this. And then later I thought maybe he was counting the crowd and the proceeds from all the, the seats and realizing what he was getting and that was moving him more than anything else. But, um, you know, um, it was an amazing moment. Uh, and, you know, doing it in English and Spanish was a little bit of a challenge. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was just great. But, you know, the bigger the crowd in the way, the easier it is for me because they're excited. They, they feed off, I feed off right. of their excitement. And so um, it was a great experience. Oh, that's fantastic. And juxtapose that to how you are currently uh, doing your job as a ring announcer for Showtime and other entities as well, in which we are now at a time where there is no one in attendance. Uh, the, it is just the announcers, the boxers, and an assorted uh, few other people. What kind of challenge does that present for you to, to have the same energy and present the fight in the same way? Yeah, it sure is different for all of us um, and for the ring announcer as well. And it's a little bit hard. I, I, I feed off the excitement of the crowd. They're not there. My timing a lot comes from the crowd's cheers and when I move on to the next, to the next thing and it's not there. But it, I think it's okay. I, I mean, what I compare it to is, is doing a movie or a TV show where you're in a studio, you announce, and you just got to trust that, that it's going to go over okay. There are some small things that I have to be aware of. Um, for example, I can't say, or I shouldn't say, please welcome, because that's not appropriate when right. there's no audience there. And of course, my tagline at Showtime, I normally say, now ladies and gentlemen, in attendance and boxing fans joining us around the world. I can't say that. I can't say there's no <laughs> ladies and gentlemen in attendance. So I, I have to think and be careful not to get into my regular shtick. Yeah, it's a challenge for everyone, that's for sure. But, but a unique one and one that I, I you know, in watching you do it, uh, I have to say uh, you have brought the same energy to it and, uh, uh, and you are enthusiastic without being over the top, which you never are anyway, 
Um, and so you've, you've created an inner energy for yourself, that's for sure. We, you talked about the, uh, uh, before the, uh, some of the, you know, a moat around the ring for Chavez Jr. and Haugen. Uh, have you ever felt in the ring imperiled uh, where you said to yourself, okay, I'm not in a good spot here and things are a little dicey, uh, I may have a problem? Well, certainly I've been in a lot of uh, riots that have occurred in the ring and outside of the ring, uh, some memorable ones, uh, you know, and sometimes happy riots, you know, where they're That's people true, are so where happy. Just just celebrating. Yeah, and Felix Trinidad has, you know, the, the ring breaking, you know, the, but there are so many people happy and jumping around in the ring after he won. It, it, it broke, and I, I, I felt like I was about to fall. Uh, of course, <laughs> Mike Tyson and the ear bite and the, the melee oh. that ensued after that was was crazy. I've been in, in an, you know, in the audience too and seeing it unfold. And I remember looking up and seeing waves of people in the rows um, starting to sneeze and cough and cover their eyes as tear gas was making its way towards me. I'd see people fighting each other. They'd look at me and say, oh, hi, Jimmy. And they'd kind of stop and then move <laughs> <laughs> on. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It's, it's, it's true. And, uh, and so sometimes it does. But I usually feel pretty safe because I feel like people are looking out after me and I'm not getting involved. But there are times when bodies are flying around so much that I don't want, I just kind of step out and step out of the way and get, get uh, out of the way with it of, it, of the action. Nobody wants to be the one that hurt Jimmy Lennon Jr., that's for sure. <laughs> be a, a terrible tagline on their, on their epitaph. <laughs> um, you, uh, uh, you have the, the nickname, Classy Jimmy Lennon Jr. Uh, how'd that come about? Who was the first person? I'm, I, I want to say, I'm wondering if it was Steve Albert that started that. You nailed it. It was Steve Albert, and I, uh, I had nothing to do with it. He just started to say it, and it stuck. And so, and what, a, you know, what a nice thing to say. That's a great and, nickname. Ah, it's, it's really nice, and uh, sometimes it keeps me out of trouble because I have to maintain that nickname. See, you probably to live up to that nickname you you can't give in to your darker side ever if you have one <laughs> even when i'm around the colonel i cannot give in to the <laughs> bob sheridan the colonel <laughs> uh, one of the great boxing characters which brings me to my next question um you have met some of the most fascinating people in the sport you alluded to uh you know interacting with don king in the ring and uh seeing something very few people have seen him misty-eyed uh <laughs> is part of the lure of boxing seeing all these fascinating people both in and out of the ring that are a part of the sport is it a lure to me in seeing that or uh, yeah uh, yeah is that part of what you find interesting about the sport oh sure i find it interesting you know nothing like you and and the, the names you are around um but it's kind of fun and it's something i can tell my kids um but honestly, I like being around good people that I can get to know. And, and yeah. that kind of, I like that more about boxing. I like going out to dinner with you and the guys. And, uh, you know, that's more of an appeal. Yet it is fun to meet some of the celebrities and be surprised well, and the when they know who I am. You talk about, you talk about, you're talking about the camaraderie, which, which certainly comes about. And you've made many friendships in boxing. And, uh, you talk about our broadcast crew, which is uh, a great fun 
interesting group and you are a big part of that because of your role in the show uh and it is great to that boxing helps create those kind of friendships does isn't it yeah it is uh it is one of the highlights and it's something that i really miss during the time that we are not free to go out yeah. and eat and, and be together that's that's one of the biggest things i missed but yeah and and especially showtime i think no other experience has been like showtime with with the camaraderie um, in every way. And I think we all look out after each other. We enjoy our company. You know, I learned a lot of things from talking to you guys. I have learned from you never to predict a winner of a fight that I'm working on. And that ah. is some great wisdom. <laughs> great <laughs> wisdom. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I miss that very much. You, um, you are a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, as is your father. Uh, and I, to me, that for you and your dad to both be in that august body uh, is really pretty extraordinary. It must there must be something that you look on with just a great deal of pride. Yeah, I really do, and uh, yeah, I, it's 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 quite an honor, and and to think you know the gift that my father gave me of of this career and and to be there with him. You know, it is really special. You know, um, it, I'm not putting it on. I'm just so surprised that of of the position I've come to, that people like me from around the world, that I'm in the Hall of Fame. And I sometimes don't know how to answer that question of yours because yeah. I'm just like, how did this happen? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, all I do is I do my work. I do my job <laughs> and, and people like it. And yeah. great. So. Well, it you know, it's interesting that you're saying that because at the end of the day, it all comes from doing your job effectively and being the best you can, which is which is in and of itself a reward, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is a reward. And, and I'm a, a very harsh critic of, of myself as well. And so, um, you know, I, I try hard. I, I prepare hard. And, and I think I think that's one of the differences between my father and myself. I think he was very natural and just had a flair to entertain and and you know gobble gobble up any energy he could gather from the fans and the fights and, and the situation. And I think the difference is for me, I really want to prepare. And so that's what I think another reason why I look up to my father as uh, you know the the best. And and if I could come close to him, that's just a great compliment. Well, you have. Uh you have carried his legacy on in a way that uh, any father would be proud of. I know he was when he, uh, when he got to see you enter the business and um, would be today if we were around sitting at ringside watching you uh, ply your craft. Jimmy, I, I really appreciate, um, Jimmy, I really appreciate you joining us. And uh, I, uh, I wish you the greatest success continuing on. Uh, in your profession, you are the preeminent uh, ring announcer, and uh, you are somebody that brings a lot to the sport of boxing. Uh, thank you, Al. Coming from you, that uh, that really means a lot. I, I thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. So that was uh, our chat with Jimmy Lennon Jr., uh, and uh, I think people can see what a delightful guy he is from just that chat. And uh, I love hearing him tell those stories over again about his dad. And uh, I thought the story about Mike Tyson and Tommy Hearns coming to visit his dad when he was ailing, which demonstrates their great affection for him. And uh, 
I assure you they have the same affection for Jimmy Lennon Jr. as well. You know, it would be fun in the future. And we've had, so we've now had Michael Buffer on, who's amazing. Jimmy Lennon Jr. Be fun someday to get both those guys together over a couple cold ones and have you sit around and just trade stories. I'd love to be a fly in the wall. Yeah. They, and you know what? I don't know that they've made uh, public appearances together. They may have or any interviews. So that would be a good, uh, that would be a nice uh, kind of uh, groundbreaking thing to do. Uh, speaking of future guests, uh, our next episode will feature Raul Marquez, the former uh, junior middleweight champion uh, who represented the United States in the Olympics in 1992, and I was privileged to announce his fights. And then he became a very good sportscaster in both the Spanish language and in English. And now he is the uh, announcer, one of the announcers on our Showbox series. Uh, and also does the Showtime Championship boxing shows in Spanish. So uh, Raul Marquez will be visiting with us next week. And Trip, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Another fun episode. Okay, and uh, get on the plane, fly safe. Again, the CBS corporate plane just lands right on the strip, and you just walk out and jump aboard. And comes right up, comes right up to the household. Uh, we <laughs> want to encourage all of you to uh, subscribe to our our channel uh, if you have not. And uh, if take a look and scroll down and take a look at all the previous interviews that we've done in previous shows, you may find some, uh, some that you like that we've, we've interviewed some great people, Andre Ward, Sean Porter, Tim Bradley, Michael Buffer, Barry Tompkins. It's a really good list of people. And I think you'll find something in there that, uh, that intrigues you. Well, we'll see you next time. Uh, my thanks to uh, Tripp. My thanks to Lee for his fine producing. And we'll see you next time on Albert and Unplugged.